Man, you may be seated. Well, again, thank you so much for being here this morning. I want to say hello to all of you watching online on television. For those of you in the room, would you please join me in welcoming our online and television audience? Thank you, thank you, thank you. As we get started, here's a few announcements. Um, first, if you have a Bible, please turn to Matthew 15. We'll get there in just a second. Matthew 15. We're going to start in verse 29 in a moment. If you're using the Pew Bible, it's page 976. 976. Very excited about the uh, upcoming few weeks that are ahead of us. This upcoming week, we actually have our second annual mental health summit. And people ask me all the time, who's the mental health summit for? And the truth is, it's for all of us. Uh, we're going to be talking about some amazing, amazing topics. We have some wonderful speakers who are going to be coming in, covering topics such as boundaries and marriage and Sabbath and rest. Dr. Sleeth is actually uh, going to be preaching next Sunday. You do not want to miss that. His story is incredible, and we're so thankful that uh, he's agreed to not only be our keynote speaker at the summit, but also stay and preach on Sunday morning. So please come out and be a part of that. Also, we're starting our Wednesday night worship service on May 31st. May 31st, we'll have our Wednesday night worship service that's going to be over in the East Sanctuary. And uh, just so you know, also, we will be going to year-round programming for our kids and our students. We used to take a long break in the summer, and we really just feel the Lord leading us to continue our rhythm of worship throughout the week and to do that on a more regular basis. And so I'll be preaching in the East Sanctuary uh, on Wednesday nights at 6 o'clock. Again, that's just right down this way uh, behind you. And Jared Jordan and the teams will be leading us in worship and we'll just be doing what the church does. We'll come together, we'll pray together, we'll sing together, we'll open up God's word together. So very, very excited about that. Please come out and be a part of that. On the 21st, um, oh, also we're getting ready for our senior weekend that's coming up. That's gonna be fantastic. Tyler's gonna be bringing a really encouraging word uh, on the 14th. And then on the 21st, uh, that's gonna be a great day for us as well. Uh, we'll be doing baptisms. If you feel called, if God has been working in your life and you want to publicly declare your faith through baptism, uh, please let us know. We would love to help you make that public step. Also on May 21st, uh, Pastor Ken Roach will be speaking that Sunday morning. Uh, those of you who get the newsletter and actually read it, uh, you'll notice that um, uh, we made the announcement this Friday that uh, Pastor Ken is going to be uh, moving, to, uh, moving on and he's going to be working for Wesley Biblical Seminary. And I'm so excited about the work that he's going to be doing there. Uh, in this, and I'm so thankful for his ministry here. We're going to be celebrating that many, many years, uh, but also the ministry he's going to get to do in the days ahead. So we'll be celebrating him. He'll be preaching on the 21st as well. So looking forward to that. Uh, before we get started, I heard someone emailed me a good one, so I, I think I'll share it. <laughs> there was a lady who was going through a sleepy southern town, had a very high speed in her car. The deputy pulled her over and said, ma'am, can you explain to me why you were going 72 in a 45? She goes, well, of course I can explain that. You see, in a, I just came from a neighboring town and I robbed a bank and all the money and the bank tellers in my trunk. The deputy slowly backed away and called for backup. The sheriff showed up. Ma'am, I need you to step out of the car. She said, absolutely. Got out of the car. He said, I need you to open the trunk. She said, absolutely, open the trunk. Nothing was in there. And the sheriff said, my deputy told me that you robbed a bank, all the money, and the bank teller was in the trunk of your car. She said, I'd never do that. <laughs> I bet you he told you, I bet he told you I was speeding too. 
Almost messed it up. All right. Eh, It's been a long day. Anyway, Matthew chapter 15. If you don't mind, out of respect for God's word, would you please stand as we read? Matthew 15, starting verse 29, says, Jesus went on from there and walked beside the Sea of Galilee, and he went up on the mountain and sat down there, and great crowds came to him, bringing with them the lame, the blind, the crippled, the mute, and many others, and they put them at his feet, and he healed them, so so that the crowd wondered. When they saw the mute speaking, the cripple healthy, the lame walking, the blind seeing, and they glorified the God of Israel. Then Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion on the crowd because they have been with me now three days and have nothing to eat. And I am unwilling to send them away hungry lest they faint on the way. And the disciples said to him, where are we to get enough bread in such a desolate place to feed so great a crowd? And Jesus said to them, how many loaves do you have? They said, seven and a few small fish. And directing the crowd to sit down on the ground, he took the seven loaves and the fish and having given thanks, broke them and gave them to the disciples. And the disciples gave them to the crowds. And they ate, they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up seven baskets full of the broken pieces left over. Those who ate were 4,000 men besides women and children. After sending away the crowds, he got into a boat and went to the region of Magdan. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. On Easter, we talked about what is the gospel. And then the two weeks after Easter, we talked about what is biblical church membership. And as God would have it, we are coming in our life along the way reading, and even many of your Sunday school classes have been studying passages just like this around the miracles that Jesus has been doing. And what I want to talk to you today is what does biblical ministry look like? I've titled this, The God Who Uses What You Have. And at the core of the message, that's the thing that I want you to take away. But the larger, more broad question is, what does it look like for us to do ministry? If you're here and you name the name of Christ, you are in Christ, you are a Christ follower, you are a Christian, then you are called to ministry. In fact, your baptism is your commission into ministry. You are now a part of the sent ones to serve in Jesus' name to the glory of the Father and the power of the Holy Spirit. But the question is, how do we do that? What does God-honoring ministry actually look like? So many times when it comes to ministry these days, we tend to think of what are the good ideas that I can think of and that I can do and that fits into my calendar and those type things, and so how can I go about doing that when there's a bigger question at stake? And that question is, what does God-honoring ministry look like on the ground, very practically? So I want this message to be extremely practical as we walk through, because Jesus is about to teach his disciples a very, very important lesson. And we see the intensely practical take place in this passage along with the miraculous, and that's how ministry works. That's how it works. We see these practical ways in which we live out our faith in serving others, and yet, 
God intervenes in beautiful and powerful ways. So because of time, I had to cut about two-thirds of my points out of this morning, so I only have 10 for you. (laughs) You're welcome. And my question is, what is God-honoring ministry? What does it mean that God uses what we have? What does that look like? Point number one, and these are sentences, just so you know. The first point is that we cannot honor God through our ministry until we slow down and listen to God's word. We cannot actually honor God through our ministry until we slow down, we live in a very fast-paced world, until we slow down and we listen to God's word. Did you catch what was going on in verse 29? Verse 29, this passage opens and it says, Jesus went on from there and walked beside the Sea of Galilee. And he went up on the mountain and sat down there. Wow. You see that? He went up on the mountain and sat down there. Now, Jesus has already done this in Matthew's gospel. Remember the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount? Right before he starts with the Beatitudes, he goes up on the mountain and he sits down. This is very, very intentional language that Matthew is using, and a Jewish audience would understand what is taking place. He's going up on the mountain just as it's echoing back to Moses in the law, just as Moses went up on the mountain to receive the law. Now Jesus is once again going up a mountain, and he's sitting down. To sit down is to sit down and teach. He's sitting down from that place of authority, and he's teaching the people. Now, interesting enough, if you look at like Mark 7 and other places, you'll see that Jesus is actually venturing into Gentile territory here. And even to them, he's going and he's walking up the mountain and he's sitting down the seat of authority and he's proclaiming who he is. He's proclaiming the mysteries of God to them. Amazing. Amazing. And we cannot honor God with our ministry until we are willing to slow down enough to hear his word. Now, what takes place here is amazing as well. Jesus is gonna call his disciples over to him in just a few minutes or in just a few verses and say to them, hey, I have compassion on the crowd because they've been with me now for three days and have nothing to eat. So from the time Jesus goes up on the mountain, he sits down from that place of authority and he's expounding to them who God is He does that for three days. This is one of those, we just read right over this a lot of times, but guys, this is one of uh, the times when revival is breaking out in the Gospels. He is talking with them. He is preaching and proclaiming from his seat of authority for three days. Some of y'all get mad if I go over three minutes. (laughs) I will today, just so you know. Um, But this is so key. What looks like just a practical ministry that he's about to teach the disciples, and it is that. It starts with a three-day Bible study. Point number two is that we will not honor God through ministry until we see people and make ourselves available to them. We have to see people. We have to see their pain. We have to see their hurt. And we have to make ourselves available to them. Now, this crowd that is before Jesus, even though he is in Gentile territory, it's as if they are living out the words of Isaiah. 
Isaiah 26, verse 9, my soul yearns for you in the night. My spirit within me earnestly seeks you. For when your judgments are in the earth, the inhabitants of the world learn righteousness. Or Psalm 143, verse 6. Again, they're living these passages. I stretch out my hands to you. My soul thirsts for you like a parched land. Psalm 63, Jared read this earlier. Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. It was Jesus who said, Matthew 5, 6, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they shall be satisfied. You see this crowd that is coming to Jesus on this day that he's looking in their eyes, he's seeing them, he's seeing their pain, he's seeing their hurts, he's making himself available to them. This is an amazing crowd. And it's as if on these three days they take Jesus up on his promise from Matthew when he says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they will be satisfied. They're coming to him in this moment and it tells us the lame, the blind, the crippled, the mute and many others and they put them at his feet and he healed them. Notice they're at his feet. He is sitting in his position of authority. When they come, it's as if they kneel before him and he sees them. And if we're going to do real ministry the way Jesus did ministry, we have to see people as well. We have to be careful that our vision of ministry does not put us at the center of the stage. But what we see is the pain in people's lives, the hurt in people's lives. Because authentic ministry, what it does is it takes the hand of God in the hurts of people and it brings those two together in beautiful ways. That leads me to my third point. And that is that authentic ministry to others always brings honor to God. This is what's taking place here. As this time of ministry where Jesus is preaching the word, where he's healing people, and all these people are coming, verse 31 says that the crowds wondered. They were in awe of who he was and what was taking place right before their eyes because the mute started speaking, the crippled, they became healthy, the lame were walking, the blind were seeing, and it says, and they glorified the God of Israel. Notice that. Not just glorify God, they glorified the God of Israel. Again, Gentiles all of a sudden who have such hard hearts toward Israel and toward Israel's God, all of a sudden now their hearts are melting. But one of the things that we have to learn is that true ministry is all about honoring God. And when we do ministry, we have to make sure that we pause and ask the question, do I want people to praise me or do I want people to praise him? Now, right here, what we see setting up for this miracle is so important because if we're going to do God-honoring ministry, we have to slow down. We have to listen to God's word. We have to see people. We have to make ourselves available to them. And we have to understand that our end goal is to bring honor to God and healing to people. But point number four, and here's where Jesus gets real practical. Point number four is this, is that God-honoring ministry always includes other disciples and is rooted in compounded compassion. Notice this. If we're going to do God-honoring ministry, it's going to include other people, but it's also, it has to be rooted in compounded compassion. Notice verse 32. 
So Jesus is teaching, Jesus is healing. Verse 32, then Jesus called his disciples to him. So Jesus got his disciples off to the side. And then he said to them, what he communicates to them is, I have compassion on the crowd because they've been with me now for three days and have nothing to eat. And then he says, and I'm unwilling to send them away hungry lest they faint on the way. Now, Jesus just communicated a lot of stuff right there. But what he's saying to his disciples is that the need that I'm seeing in their lives and my desire to meet that need is rooted in, is grounded in my compassion that I have for them. And he is wanting his disciples to have that same compassion. Now, compassion is not just a feeling, by the way. It's a word that means to suffer with. Jesus is identifying with the suffering that they are going through right here. And he says, I want to do something about it. He actually communicates the consequences to his disciples if they do nothing. Boy, that's a great question to ask yourself. The next time you're thinking about or being led to do some kind of ministry, ask yourself the question, what happens if I don't do this? Instead of, can I fit this into my schedule? What happens if I don't? What goes undone in someone's life if I don't participate in what I'm having compassion well up in me for? Now notice that Jesus calls his disciples to himself. And that's because kingdom work is never solo work, by the way. Never solo work. And it's rooted in this compassion that is now spreading to the disciples. Leads me to point number five. That is that God honoring ministry needs thoughtful, contextualized conversation. Notice what happens next. After Jesus communicates this need to his disciples, again, very practical here, when he communicates this and he communicates the consequences if they don't do it, verse 33 says, and the disciples said to him, where are we going to get enough bread in such a desolate place to feed so great a crowd? Now notice there in a desolate place, whereas the feeding of the 5,000 was a green place, this desolate place, again, pointing to he's in Gentile territory now. And they asked this question, where are we going to get enough bread in such a desolate place to feed so great a crowd? That is a great question, by the way. A lot of times we read that and we say, oh, they don't have enough faith. No, no, no. This is a good question. Jesus says in verse 34, and Jesus said to them, how many loaves do you have? They said, seven and a few small fish. Great. Now they know. But notice they're having a conversation here around their context at that moment. Oh, this is so important. So important. They're talking about what they have to work with. It would have been so easy to make any number of excuses why they could not do this. Why they could not help these people. They could have made a ton of them. But see, if you're going to do Christian ministry, if you're going to be a Christian in ministry, if you're going to be a Christian who serves other people, you have to take the excuses and set them to the side and have a conversation about simply what do we have to work with? You have to start there. That's what Jesus and the disciples are doing. And again, Jesus is leading them right into this conversation. And so they tell him, we have seven and a few small fish. And so point number six is that God honoring ministry is organized. It is organized. Notice what happens next. They have a, Jesus learns they have seven loaves, a few small fish, and directing the crowd to sit on the ground. 
Now, a lot of times we just read right over that, but that is huge. Jesus is giving some structure and order to the miracle that's about to take place. So many times people are like, well, I'm not very organized. I'm spirit-led. No, you may just be unorganized, actually. (laughs) No, Jesus here is giving some structure, giving some order to what is about to take place. And the truth is we all demand organization of other people right? We demand organization when we're the one being served. We demand organization in our kids' school. We demand organization in the DMV, right? It's like living in hell when you go there, but we demand organization, right? Actually, they got me in and out really, really quick. I love them. They're great people. But we demand organization for other people, but we make excuses for ourselves. And my friends, we have to be careful, Because even Jesus is bringing order in a moment of a miracle. Notice what happens next, point number seven. We honor God through our ministry when we use what we have, meaning what God has already provided. We honor God through our ministry when we use what we have, meaning what God has already provided. Notice what Jesus does In verse 36, after he organizes the crowd, verse 36, he took, he took the seven loaves and the fish. Notice that. Do you realize how crazy this looks right now? Jesus has thousands of people who are hungry. They've got seven loaves, a few small fish, and he takes them in his hand as if he's about to feed everybody. And I'm sure the crowd is sitting there going, I wonder how this is going to work. Right? He takes them in his hand, but he's using what the Father has already provided. You see, a lot of ministry never happens because we waste time wanting what other ministries have. A lot of ministry never happens in churches because churches can waste time wanting what other churches have. And for those of us who are in a church that has had past success, oh dear. Because a lot of times ministry, good ministry does not happen because we waste time thinking about what we used to have. Living in yesterday, trying to live off yesterday's anointing instead of today's provision. Jesus takes the few loaves of bread and the fish in his hands. And the question we have to ask ourselves is what has God provided for us today? How many loaves today? How many fish today? Today, that's what we have to use. Number eight, we honor God. We honor God through our ministry when we pray prayers of thanksgiving for what he's already provided. Not only do we use what he's already provided, but we pray prayers of thanksgiving for what he's already provided. Verse 36, Jesus took the seven loaves and the fish Having given thanks, he broke them. 
After giving thanks. Again, can you imagine this moment? Thousands of people, a few loaves of bread, a few, few fish. And he's going, thank you, God, for what you've given me. Again, if I'm in the crowd, I'm going, I don't know how that's going to work. Or there's going to be a lot of people who go hungry here. But he prays a prayer of thanksgiving. You see, we in the church, we have to be careful. We have to be careful that even though we've seen the treasures of heaven, we know that God can do anything. He has unlimited resources. So many times we can become ungrateful for our kingdom allowance. But it's when God gives us, he provides through his providential hand, he provides what we need. And in those moments, we're looking at it going, I'm not sure. And in those moments, we pray in faith and say, God, thank you for what you have provided. There is a need that I'm going to try to meet. In that gap between what I'm holding in my hand, the prayer that I pray, and the need that I'm trying to meet, that's when God fills that gap for his glory. It's in those moments when we step out, instead of making all the excuses, instead of saying there's no sense in trying, when we take the loaves in our hand, we take the fish in our hand, we say, God, thank you for what you provided. He steps in in those moments and does miracles. And that's what he did here. Some of you may have been told that, oh, Jesus was teaching everybody to share. This really wasn't a miracle. Not true. This is a miracle. And in this moment, God provide, provided abundantly when it looks like there is a serious lack of resources. Absolutely beautiful. And notice what Jesus does. Point number nine. We honor God through our ministry when we use who we have. Not just what we have, who we have. Who God has placed around you. A lot of times we think, well, if I can just get the right person, if I get a more talented person, I get a smarter person, more educated person. No. The question is, who has God put around you? Notice what Jesus does after he takes the loaves and the fish and he prays and asks God to bless. He says, thank you, God, for what you have already provided. I believe that you're going to meet the need for the gap that's there. Who does he give it to? He gives it to the disciples. And who do they give it to? They give it to the crowd. Jesus could have done it all himself. I mean, he's the guy who can walk on water. I think he can walk around and feed everybody. And he could say, look what I did for you. You like what I did for you? Multiply the bread. Multiply the fish. But he doesn't do that. He uses the disciples that are around him. He involves them in the miracle. He lets them take it out to the people. You see, there's a difference between the minister and the ministry. There's a difference between the servant and the service that's provided. And we have to be careful that the service does not become about one servant or the ministry does not become about one minister. But what Jesus does, he invites us and he calls us to invite others to be a part of the miracles that he's doing all around, just like he did on this day just like he did on this day. And we have to make sure we check our ego at the door because ministry and serving, it's not about us. It's about meeting the needs in people's lives, their hurts, their pain with God's healing hand. That's what it's about. He gives it to the disciples. Could you imagine being one of them? 
Could you imagine walking out through there, handing out bread, and it's like not depleting the basket? Could you imagine that moment? It's like, John! (laughs) It's not going away! Right? And John's like, I know, shut up, keep doing it, just give it out. But he involved them in the miracle. Beautiful. We have to use who we have. Number 10. Number 10 is that God brings heavenly and earthly satisfaction to people, through people. God brings heavenly and earthly satisfaction to people, through people. That, my friends, is ministry. He gave thanks. He broke it, gave it to his disciples. And the disciples gave it to the crowd, verse 37. And they all ate and were satisfied. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Is there an earthly satisfaction to a full belly? Absolutely. Very practical. There's also a heavenly satisfaction. that cannot be filled anywhere else but in Christ. And in this moment, Jesus teaches his disciples how to do ministry. Is it very practical? Yes, it is. Does it always take a miracle? Yes, it does. For people to be truly satisfied. Absolutely. And then God, in his wisdom... There's seven baskets full left over. Whenever you see a number like that, it's not random. You know the famous, most famous seven in all the Bible. The Bible begins with a seven, right? Seven days of creation. And in this moment, what Jesus is teaching his disciples is that the God of creation is the God of provision. And Jesus knows that he's going to send his disciples out to change the world, to do this kind of ministry all around the world. And what he's saying to him is that the God of creation is the God of provision. So trust me with your ministry, boys. Trust me. And I think what he's teaching his disciples on this day is the lesson that you and I need to learn today. Same one. The God who calls you. If you're a Christian, you are called. The God who calls you to service, to ministry, is the creator God. And he is the one that will provide what you need when you step out in those moments of faith. And we just have to trust him with what he's called us to do. Amen? I want to pray this morning, pray that you would trust him. That if you're here and you are truly a Christian, you are in Christ, you call on the name of Christ, you serve in the name of Christ, my prayer is that you would trust him as he provides as you serve. So if you would, please stand to your feet, if you don't mind. Go ahead and bow your head. Father, thank you. I thank you for these beautiful men and women. Some young, some more seasoned. But I thank you for each and every one of them. And their love and their dedication and their faith in you. And Lord, I pray 
for the lives that you will put in their path as they seek to be a minister of the gospel. I pray that you would help us see people the way Jesus saw people. I pray that you would give us those moments when we take what you've already provided, and even though we know it's not enough, we say, thank you, God, for what you've given. And then in those moments when we step out, Lord, we thank you for showing up and doing what we cannot do, for filling the gap for your glory. Lord, I pray for each of us that we would trust you. You're the God who created the world. You're the God who always provides. So as we seek to be just a small part of your kingdom, may we as your ministers trust you with that. Help us have that kind of faith today in this moment. Help us. Lord, we love you. We really do. And we thank you for loving us. I pray this in Jesus' good and powerful name. And everybody said,